Welcome to Docs in Orbit, where we feature conversations with independent creative documentary filmmakers from around the world. This is Christina Zachariades. In this episode, we begin to highlight films from the Krakow International Film Festival, which is one of the oldest film events dedicated to documentary, short, and animated films. This year, the festival celebrated their 60th edition. We were honored to work in collaboration with Paulina Bukowska from the festival, and we selected three films from the documentary film competition to feature on the podcast. In this episode, we bring you the first of this series, with a conversation with Radu Chernikuk from Romania about his award-winning feature-length documentary, A Casa My Home. The film is set in the wilderness of the Bucharest Delta, an abandoned water reservoir just outside the bustling metropolis. Here we meet the Anachi family that consists of nine children and their parents living in perfect harmony with nature. Sleeping in a hut on the lake shore catching fish barehanded, and following the rhythm of the seasons. Their life undergoes a dramatic change when they are forced to leave the area and move into the city so that the city can transform the Delta into a public national park. With their roots in their wilderness, the nine children and their parents struggle to find a way to conform to modern civilization, and they each begin to question their place in the world and what their future might be in the concrete jungle. With an empathetic and cinematic eye, filmmaker Radu Chernikuk offers viewers a compelling tale of an impoverished family living on the fringes of society in Romania, fighting for acceptance and their own version of freedom. A Casa My Home premiered at Sundance, where it won the World Cinema Documentary Special Jury Award for Cinematography. It then went on to screen across Europe at CPH Docs in Copenhagen, Vilnius International Film Festival in Lithuania, DocFest Munich, and Thessaloniki Documentary Festival in Greece, where it took home the Special Jury Award. It was recently screened at Krakow International Film Festival, where it was awarded the Golden Horn for Best Director and Best Film, and is now playing at DocEdge in New Zealand. The film is an impressive debut and essential viewing for filmmakers that lean into cinema verite style of filmmaking. Not only is the story strong and the cinematography powerful, but what is also incredible is the social impact campaign that surrounds it. We discuss the details of all this as well as the inspiration behind the film in the following conversation, moderated by Romanian filmmaker Christina Hanesh. She is a graduate of the Doc Nomads program And she most recently co-directed A Rifle in a Bag, which premiered earlier this year at Rotterdam and is episode two of our Docs in Orbit podcast. Here's the conversation. I would like to start from your background as an investigative journalist, because you co-founded eight years ago Casa Journalistului the journalist's house, where a group of journalists work and live together in a kind of commune, sharing a house in Bucharest uh, with the exclusive support of crowdfunding. This project of independent journalism was the first of this sort in Romania, 
and you were doing in-depth investigative work about subjects that are extremely difficult to tackle. I was following your work uh, since then, and I remember very well the article with Bruce Lee, the leader of the homeless people living in the underground world in the sewages of Bucharest. I assume the process is quite similar to documentary filmmaking in terms of how much time it requires and how it engages your sense of observation and also in the connection you build with people. So with your debut film, Akasa My Home, uh, you went yourself through a transition from writing to filmmaking and you approached it using a very particular style, which is direct cinema. So I was wondering what kind of revelations did you have in the process concerning these formal aspects and what attracts you to direct cinema? Okay, that's, that's actually interesting that you mentioned the uh, Bruce Lee, King of the Sewers. Uh, it had a big impact on me. It was my first big story, that the sewage, uh, the sewage story in, in Bucharest. And um, the, my biggest disappointment then, and it's the biggest of my professional life, was that my article, although it became very popular in, in Romania and abroad, uh, didn't change much for the people I was writing about. So, um, you know, it kind of made me want to learn to do a bit more for the people I was writing about. And that's when I realized that I want to make a film rather than, um, than a written piece. And the thing is that at Casa Journalistului, at Journalist House, uh, we, we were always trying to find the documentary value in our uh, stories. It wasn't pure investigative um, journalism. It had the, like an art a big artistic component, um, you know, the, the whole work we were doing there. So, um, I mean, the transition wasn't necessarily very hard for me to, to filmmaking because we were already focusing on finding the human value in our stories. And I, um, I only took inve like pure investigative jobs. I was in my 20s and I would travel the world and I would do undercover uh, investigations in factories and farms and and I spe specialized in modern day slavery and I had the satisfaction that after I would publish like one investigation for the Guardian or Channel 4 News like uh, the, those factories would would close and we would get compensations for thousands of workers and and so on or like uh, you know like better living and working conditions but you know like when you do those kinds of investigations the creative part is uh, brutally removed from the whole process. So I would go like to film in a, at one of the biggest chicken factories, for example, in Europe, and I would see these amazing shots and these ama amazing characters. Everyone was like, "Yeah, but we can't, we can't put it in the in the material because that would, you know, expose us or make us vulnerable in a, in the court of law, for example." And um, um, I wanted I wanted to take a break after some some long years of uh, this kind of work and uh, I was just prepared to move someone like the, in the nature and uh, you know do a story there I, I didn't want, I didn't know like uh, what I wanted to do so I, I and I just read the news like uh, in 2016 the government would transform this uh, old garbage dump in the middle of Bucharest an abandoned uh, vast uh, piece of land they would transform it into a natural reservation 
I said like, okay, let's go there. And uh, let's see how the government will uh, transform, like how will the, the place change. So uh, we got there, we, we saw some peculiar looking uh, kids uh, in the tall bushes. We followed them and they introduced us to the, to the parents. And this is how we stayed for the next four years, uh, you know, embedded into the family. And for the first few months, I was doing interviews mostly. And it wasn't, it wasn't until I saw them play together and it wasn't until I realized that they had an incredible relationship with nature. And above all, they had a fascinating relationship with, with each other. There wasn't, they weren't using many words. They, some of them couldn't necessarily speak very well. So it became quite obvious for me that what I was doing there couldn't be contained in a, in a reportage. After I stopped doing interviews and just, you know, like I, I was, I, I would just follow my instinct and try to um, express through the camera what I was feeling and, and, uh, and so on. So the main aim for, for me, like for the visual approach was to be able to make the camera uh, or the image seem as being a POV of, of uh, one of the brothers. There's a lot of the times I would look at the little kids and how their movement goes and what are the, the triggers. So uh, a few months into the, into the research, I knew if I hear a sound in a, you know, like a, a few meters away, I knew that at least one of the kids would follow it. And then, and then it became quite natural, you know, the, the, the whole camera movement and the following. And, you know, like it was a, an objective for our researchers was to to find the voice of the of the story of the characters and and put that into the text rather than have ourselves and, or have our, our own points of views imposed into into our stories i'm not sure uh, if i answered your question but yeah yeah you did and you also answered my second one so <laughs> that's great you don't even have to ask it um yeah and i mean also for me uh, Knowing your work, uh, it wasn't surprising at all what kind of cinema you did in Akasa My Home, because as you read Bruce Lee or other articles of yours, you can sense the observational spirit. And uh, even though you might have taken interviews, the style certainly had more of an observational vibe, let's say. Um, and yeah, I would focus a bit on how the film is narratively driven because from the beginning uh, you knew about the transformation of this enormous Bucharest Delta which is kind of in the middle of Bucharest. It's not at the edge, it's in between the edge and the center. I was checking it on the maps. So from the beginning you knew uh, there is going to be a change for this family because of it. But of course, you couldn't know how this will evolve and in which way uh, the authorities 
and the social assistance, the social services are going to implement this uh, transition for them. Yeah. At first we said that, okay, we're going to stay for six months to film this until the family would be kicked out from the park because it was impossible for them to live in that place. Uh, the conservation law is quite strict when it comes to people living in uh, protected areas. So it was clear that they will have to leave. And again, at first we said, like, okay, it's going to take six months until they will be kicked out. And that would, that would have been like a ending for, uh, for my story back then. And then because of the, because of, <laughs> because of the Romanian bureaucracy and uh, because of the constant changes in government, the place was uh, in, a, in a sort of limbo. For the next uh, two years, the family could still live there. So that gave us a lot more time for documenting their lives because uh, there was no one to take the management for the park, uh, bureaucratic stuff. So um, our six months turned into two years and then, of course, our relationship with the family developed as well. And there was one thing that convinced me that we need to follow them into the city. And I saw the kids in, uh, in their first day of school and I saw how different they are from the other kids in so many ways. They were so uh, super curious, naive in a, in a lot of ways. I mean, they were going into a, like in a ghetto school where kids were, had like fancy haircuts and fancy clothes and they were not so open like socially. And the kids from the Delta were just, would just like go to complete strangers and like, and say like, hello, my name is Jigel, how are you? And, <laughs> and everyone was looking at them so strange and like, man, this is so, Fascinating. These kids are so special. So, okay, let's follow them into the city as well. Let's see what happens. I, I predicted that they, they would leave, but I never predicted what would happen to them in the city. It was very hard for me to go back, like, uh, after the shooting day with them in the, in the city, like, or in their apartment, in their little house, to go back uh, to my place and look at the footage and see how, like, how the magic around the, the kids slowly disappears. They were slowly being uh, absorbed by the cement, by the whole rigidity of the city life, of the city environment, and so on. So it wasn't very easy for me to watch them, you know, like lose that thing that fascinated me for uh, more than two years. And, and um, slowly I would, I, I would see that, you know, like there was some very dramatic changes changes in uh, inside the family and with their relationships and that's when I started to reconsider the the, the story structure as well like the, the narrative arch and, and everything so you know like the I would realize that okay they were living in the wilderness they didn't have like a, the the life was was quite rough in uh, in, in those conditions and because of that um, the family had to be had to stay together had to be very united to survive the, that environment my, my main character was, was the co a collective character, was the whole family. For me, the film was like, okay, the first part of the, first part of the film, we have a collective uh, personality, let's say. And then uh, when they move into the city, when, when, they get the, when, when they see the opportunities of the city and uh, they discover themselves as individuals. So, you know, into the city, we are focusing uh, more on each individual characters because they become... They become their own, their own persons, you know. Um, Vali discovers that life in the city can give him uh, more comfort 
or at least he has access to opportunities that would give him more uh, comfort. And now that he's like 17 or 18, he wants his own life. And this is something that, uh, you know, um, puts him in the conflict with his father, which is a patriarch. And because he's old and he's uh, quite sick, puts a lot of pressure on Vali, uh, being the oldest son, to take care of, of the whole family. And uh, basically, this is yeah, this is this is uh, the whole, ch- the, the the whole change in the family life is reflected through their conflict. Uh, you know, like it changed the, the whole uh, script, the whole treatment, the whole uh, narrative approach. It changed a lot because the life of the family went through a lot of things in this in this short period of time. It's only four years, but uh, for them, it was uh, there was an uh, yeah, it was a. A lot of things happening for them, and most of them we couldn't predict. Some of them we, we predicted, but uh, it didn't happen as we wanted to, or as, as we were thinking uh, that they will happen. So we just followed, uh, followed them, and it was, it was quite good, um, you know, production-wise, that we had the, the freedom to actually just go with the flow. Let's see what happens. And for example, when, when the, there's... There's some fights inside the family, especially when, uh, you know, Vali, the oldest son, confronts the father or uh, vice versa, you know. I, I knew that w- there was a conflict in there for like some months now. I couldn't, I couldn't film it. So um, uh, my directing became some, some sort of like mediating between the family mem- members. And I, I said like, okay, let's... I'm gonna put this into the like the the whole directing. Um, so because the father was calling me and said like Radu, you need to you know like you need to talk to Vali. He's going crazy. The city is like making him take a lot of bad decisions. And you know like, and on the other hand, Vali was calling me like saying that oh, Radu, you need to talk with my father. He's going nuts, cursing me and so on. So. Um, I just put them together in one room and said like, look guys, you need to talk with each other. You know like it wasn't something that they were doing <laughs> constantly so uh, it surprisingly it worked very well with most of the dialogue scenes you know there was something going on and then I would have to think like okay let's find a solution to have it in, into a scene so because I was communicating a lot with my characters I knew at any given point of what was happening so I was just encouraged them to like express their feelings and everything so uh, you know it, it wasn't hard, like 10 minutes into this uh, exercise, they would forget about me and that the camera is there and I was just, you know, I would just do my thing, like plant little microphones there because we had to, um, we had to keep the, the whole team to like to a minimum, even the filming equipments. Again, because we wanted to have this family, like in, intimacy um, element uh, being strong in the film. For me, verite means that uh, honest, like honesty. It's not about uh, it's not about the aesthetic, uh, as it is about the emotion that uh, you feel uh, in that image, you know. And that emotion you can't capture if you're not working, if you don't put yourself there uh, in uh, as honest as you can be, you know, with yourself and with your characters and with your story. So uh, I'm, I'm when I'm shooting, I'm looking at those kinds of moments where I'm feel like 100% absorbed in that moment and you know like sometimes I get goosebumps when when I have like a, a shot and I see like the movements they are so uh, you know harmonious and everything for me that's that's the verite for me that's the true verite when I feel something 
that uh, is happening ar uh, uh, around me and that when I feel that my camera is capturing exactly what I'm feeling in that moment. Yeah, um, I was uh, intending to, to ask you about the characters, of course, because uh, like you said, they are uh, extremely truthful to themselves and you managed to create the condition for this truth to emerge, which is, of course, something that something I appreciate a lot in your film. And talking about the characters, uh, I wanted to ask you about this challenge of dealing with uh, yeah, 11 people uh, while filming. And yeah, you, you made it uh, clear that the first part of the film was supposed to be uh, more of a collective character and then the story slowly focuses on Vali, who is also the eldest son, who is going through the most drastic change. Also because he's in his teenage years and we all know how the teenage years have their ways to transform us uh, incredibly and it's when we actually yeah, uh, are confronted with our identity and with the world and we are trying to uh, build a position for ourselves in the world. The father yeah, was demanding for obedience, which was of course why Vali was reacting in the first place like that. And I can relate very much uh, to Vali uh, for going through the a very similar uh, experience in, during my teenage years. I mean, you were very conscious of, of also this intergenerational dynamics. How how did you? It was I wasn't at the beginning. This wasn't necessarily my my focus in in the in the research. One one thing that actually was you know su su surprised me, but I, I realized it like later into the research that. The kids uh, didn't know that they were gypsies, you know, up until they were called gypsies by their neighbors. They weren't allowed to play, uh, you know, with the other kids in the street. And um, so this was also a shock to, to them, like, in many ways, so especially the little ones. They were so confused that they can't play with the white kids in the front of their house. Why are, why are those, like, why is a neighbor, like, yelling at me? Like, why is, uh, I'm, I... I'm just doing the same things that the other kids are doing, you know. All of these small things put pressure on each of the family member and uh, each of the family member would respond to that pressure in their own way. And um, this huge pressure for Vali kind of accelerated his search for being independent. He didn't want to be a member of a family of, uh, you know, like... Uh, um, wild people, as, as he calls it, you know, he didn't want to be that anymore. He wanted to have a, you know, he wanted to be, to have some sort of respect at his job. He wanted to go to school. He wanted to, you know, like, have a, his own family, have his own thing going on. And because this became more obvious, you know, I started to look through the material. And I said, like, okay, let's, let's have a look at that and see, like, see if there's some scenes that can build for this arch, you know, like, the relationship between... Uh, an adolescent or like a coming of age son and his uh, patriarch father. Let's see if that works because I was seeing myself in that as well. I would see a lot of my friends uh, from my generation in that as well. They, had, they all had parents 
um, that were that were raised in a patri very patriarch, uh, you know, like way, and uh, that uh, a lot of the times would use violence uh, for educating their kids and so on. We all we we have all been through that, even in the educated families. I was yeah, I was resonating a lot with that, and especially with the search for independence. Um, that dramatic little uh, piece of our lives when uh, we fly out of our nest. Suddenly, of course, you lose your interest for your own home, your own family, your own, you know, good or bad and so on. You want your own thing. You, you want your own roots, let's say. So you go and search for that. Also, like in the a dock incubator, for example, which is a workshop where we took our uh, rough cut to, to be developed. We met uh, an amazing uh, editing consultant, it's Joel Alexis who's, I think, one of the most brilliant dramaturgists I've ever met. So she was the one who actually brought up this relationship thing at the level where it's obvious in, in the film as well, as well as, you know, very coherent emotionally. So that thing, that thing for me, like, opened up a new world of, like, how you can build stories or how you can, you know, like, uh, rediscovering opportunities in your own material. And I'm uh, referring to the relationship uh, with the father and the son. Uh, it was very, very helpful to, to look at the material as well, like that. It was, uh, it was quite interesting. Mm, wow. Yeah. I was also talking about um, how much the characters uh, emerge in the film, how much they are uh, present or ab absent. Um, the mother is more of an absent character. Uh, we can hear her voice more clearly towards the end and uh, a tiny bit at the beginning. And I was wondering if this uh, was caused by narrative reasons or it had to do with uh, maybe also the gender dynamics while you were filming. Yeah, I wouldn't say they're absent characters, the mother or the other girls in the family, but they're in the background. And therefore, the, for a reason, in the background. For me, it was, um, it was really hard to see them. I mean, they were mar marginalized. Be uh, first of all, because of their like uh, living conditions, okay. And then it was because it was a very patriarch family, and the boys had the, all their like uh, all their plays were quite violent and quite like you know. Boise and everything. The, the girls suffered it for even more for marginalization inside the family as well. And uh, when we got there, for example, uh, there was Christina and uh, Ana, Maria, Ana Maria and Zuna and Luciana as well, which are the girls of the family. Uh, they they couldn't speak. They didn't know their, uh, how how old they are. They didn't know colors. They didn't know they like basic things. And they were already like six, seven, eight years old. So uh, it took us a while just to understand what we can do in this circumstance. It was very hard for me to point my camera towards them, to be honest. It was, I have a, I have a little daughter, you know, it's, it was quite uh, heartbreaking for me. And, it, it, uh, and I didn't know how to do it, like in all honesty, I didn't know how to, how to point my camera at them and have them in a, in a dignifying uh, perspective. So what we did, like, and this is how we, how we started this whole social project, and what we did was, uh, you know, hire the psychologists and medics and educators and everything. It became, it became a bigger thing uh, towards the end of the project. But back then, we were looking at solutions. Okay, how can we, like, 
get those girls like out of that very poor state. So we worked with uh, with some really good NGOs and with really good professionals. Um, and this is one of the reasons that I didn't film them for some time. I, w- I was a bit afraid to to put even more pressure. And with the mother, I mean, she was always for me a lioness. You know, she was always, even towards us. She was like, "You're not fucking touching my." kids or my babies you're like you know watch out i'm gonna fucking kill you and she was she would actually say that to us you know so so uh now for sure she's a, a strength there in the film you can like her strength like even in her silence in her uh just these brief moments when yeah she uh explodes uh with anger you can uh, like her strength is there and her fierce uh, determination to to keep her kids with her yeah so yeah the, the relationship with her when they were living in the nature it was quite challenging also because they were living in a constant fear to be uh, split apart from uh, you know like that social services would come and take their kids and and so on but in the city part for example we became very close allies because the father would want to uh, wanted to take the kids back to somewhere in nature and like uh, isolate himself and uh, themselves again and I, we would work closely with the mother because she wanted the best for the kids she wasn't as selfish as the father um i mean for example for me like one of the most important scenes in the film is when she takes her little daughter to to school and that's that's the first girl in the in the family for some generations now that goes to school and she wanted me to film that um she understood like the importance of having her first daughter do something that she never had the opportunity to do i really appreciate what she's she's been doing for the for the kids and for the family yeah she is a true mother yeah and towards the end when the father is uh, yeah threatening that he will take the kids she's the one that uh, also points out to him that the boys uh, Rico the second eldest and Vali are already yeah at the age in which they need this independence they need to be allowed to fend for themselves so she makes her position very clear and she has of course a very uh, she's very smart uh, understanding exactly. yeah understanding the moment of her children uh rather than uh yeah uh trying to you know uh be fatalist like the father mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that uh yeah everything is lost if the children will try too many things yeah exactly she she has a better understanding than than the than the father has and the father has a like a high education and everything you know but he's so consumed about himself and about you know his own uh his own uh, struggles let's say you know like i'm yeah, yeah. and this uh, is also very uh, visible in the um, interactions he has with all these social actors that appear in the film mm-hmm. um like the social assistant the social services the police force the association uh, the prime minister and even prince charles yeah so um what comes forward from him is a sort of uh, resilience mm. he refuses to submissively comply yeah 
but at the same time when they are approached with respect you can feel how this sense of dignity just is blossoming in their eyes mm. and that was really devastating for me because in a way it takes so little yeah but it's in the end the most difficult thing mm. because uh, in this familiar harsh racist attitude that the Roma community is getting in Romania either from the authorities that are humiliating them but from the other side like the uh, civil society let's say mm -hmm. uh, it seems to me that has like a constantly patronizing attitude and they feel very threatened by this difference that they encounter in them yeah and this is very well shaped in your film because it gives us a large uh, let's say palette of <laughs> of uh, reactions that they encounter we, we, we've put so, we put a face on uh, on the racism and the abuse and the violence towards uh, towards the minorities because this is happening with uh, Roma but this is also happening with other minorities this is also happening with you know like black communities in uh, in the US or you know because the, the types of abuse that we were filming and we were seeing towards them this is something that you can also see towards other social or like ethnical categories so this is why we haven't stressed on This is the Roma family, and now you know, like like uh, we've seen in a lot of other films. This is just some people that uh, are going through some difficult times, but they're people like like us. Look, you know, like look, there's uh, there's that, and there's this, and there's this. This is uh, yeah. Anyway. Yeah, what we are seeing uh, everywhere in the world that the dominant uh, race, let's say, mm -hmm. is just feels threatened by this difference. As but like personally threatened and it's so embedded and uh, especially and now dirty. nowadays you know nowadays with uh, with all this crisis is is uh, the, these kinds of things are even more obvious and even more uh, going uh, towards the surface which is something that's very dangerous uh, which is why we need that which is why we need pieces like this pieces of stories like this to humanize a bit the enemy that's that's presented, uh, you know, inside these uh, people that are a bit more conservative and even uh, get a bit, I mean, they're easier to manipulate and easier to make them scared uh, of other people, which is something that's a bit, uh, that we, that needs to have some opposition, I think, this uh, whole tendency. And, um, yeah, connected to this is also um, the social project that you were working on while doing the film. And besides the social project, there is also a, a book, Akasa. Could you tell me a bit more about this book and yeah, the social project? Sure. We decided to help the family and we wanted to do it in a... Obviously, we wanted to do it as ethically as possible and also we wanted to have a, a significant impact. We, we, we knew that After they would leave the Delta, they would be separated and put in a ghetto. The kids would be separated from the parents and that would, would have been unnecessary trauma on top of the, the trauma of the whole change. So um, we put together a team of very bright uh, young professionals. We built a, a, a quite experimental integration uh, model for, you know, designed for the family 
that's that can be used and uh, partly it is used for other communities nowadays but you know like for working with families that are in that are living in extreme poverty so we had uh, different departments like medical integration uh, housing integration bureaucratic integration you know educational integration so for each each of these uh, attack lines or like uh, departments we've had some 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 professionals but at one point this was getting quite expensive and we we needed some sort of um, financial sustainability for them. I mean, we've had different bits of little grants here and there. We did crowdfunding with, and then um, um, because we were because we were playing a, a lot with the kids ever since we we got to meet them, we, we would give them film cameras and they would. Uh, there wasn't any. There wasn't a purpose to that back then. It was just something fun that we can do together and like have you know like uh, give something to our relationship. Um, but they would they would do amazing photographs and uh, one year into this uh, little play of ours we had uh, their first year of transition from the delta to the city documented by them and talking about verite you should see like uh, you should see the verite from <laughs> from uh, you know photographs taken by uh, by by little kids so uh, at one point we needed some money to you know to support the, the social project so we and we um, approached the publisher and we published a book with their photos and with uh, with a story written by by us. It the the book did great surprisingly. I mean we had a really nice launch and uh, with that money we we managed to to keep the social project going. But also uh, with some efforts that came from our producer as well as. Uh, um, other people attached to the project, we managed to to buy the family a piece of land and the and the house twenty minutes from the old delta. So there's there's a there's a ray of light, let's say, at the at the end of the, of the film, and a lot of these people that worked in the social project and in the book, and there were hundreds of them, managed to build something really beautiful, and it was some something that inspired other people as well. And then now there's like this whole little network of volunteers working with communities in the neighborhood, and those. And those people met because because of these kids in the Delta, and uh, there's other kids benefiting from the, their story, basically. So it, it's quite nice to see that. We really wanted wanted to make a bit more uh, outside the film because, as I told you, I come from a, as a journalist. I I wanted to make journalism, and I wanted to make investigative journalists to have a you know to have an impact on on people I'm you know I'm uh, writing about and on on uh, the world around me. So it was quite important to have that attached to the project. Mm, yeah. yeah. Thank you so much for the insightful uh, conversation and for the film. Thank you. And it was a really nice interview. Thank you so much. Thank you. This podcast was produced by Pandarei Productions with music by Naim Mahboub in Stockholm and produced by Christina Zachariades in New York. Special thanks to Christina Hanesh of No Cut Film Collective and to Paulina Bukowska from the Krakow International Film Festival. Thanks for listening, and tune in next week where we continue highlighting films from the Krakow International Film Festival, featuring a conversation with Francesca Mazzolini about her film Punta Sacra. And for more goodies, visit us online at docsinorbit.com and follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook for all the updates.